Hello, everyone, and welcome to Next Off, a Victory Briefs podcast. I'm Lawrence, joined by Chris and Jacob. We're all here at camp right now. How's camp been so far? Swell. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, it's. I thought we would actually see each other in person to record this podcast once in our lives, but so far that is yet to happen. Anyways, we're a podcast discussing all things Circuit Lincoln-Douglas debate. We publish new episodes every other week, although we took a break for the summer. This is our sixth episode where we'll be discussing the three topics that you can vote for in the September-October topic slot. And before we discuss those topics, we just wanted to remind you that we have a Google form linked in the description where you can submit feedback or suggestions for future topics. Finally, thanks to Victory Bruce for sponsoring this podcast. Victory Briefs is a summer debate institute and publisher of debate materials, which you can learn more about at victorybriefs.com. All right, we'll discuss our thoughts about the three topics after the short break. All right, so voting for the September-October topics opens up this Saturday. Now, if you don't know how the new voting process works, our last episode covers the new voting process. And we have three topics available for us for September, October. So what we're going to do is I'm just going to read out these topics and then we'll go around and explain sort of big picture what these topics mean um, and what they're about before giving our thoughts on them and which ones we think that you should pick. Uh, So the three topics are first, resolved, the United States ought to adopt a proportional representation system for elections to the House of Representatives. Second, resolved in a democracy, voting ought to be compulsory. And third, Resolved, social media companies ought to be legally responsible for content posted by users on their platforms. So I think we can just go around and turn and explain what these topics mean. So Chris, if you want to start. Yeah, let's start out by talking about the proportional representation topic. Very broadly, what this is talking about is a change to an election system for the House of Representatives, whereby the composition of seats in the House would be roughly proportional to the percentage of votes cast for each party. Um, There are a number of different ways of getting at the system if you look internationally, but it's contrasted with what we do now, which is a first-past-the-post or plurality system. So right now, each house district, the person who gets the most votes, even if that is only 40% or 45%, becomes the uh, rep for that district. In a proportional representation system, you would instead have larger districts that have multiple members and the percentage of vote that went to each party would roughly correspond to the percentage of vote um, or the percentage of seats that that party wins. So for example, maybe you would make an entire state a multi-member district. Let's say that state had 10 representatives in the House of Representatives and Democrats get 60% of the votes, the Republicans get 50%, uh, 40% of the vote. You get six reps, Democrats, and uh, four as Republicans. So that's sort of roughly what the change would be. Um, A lot of countries internationally have this, I think around 100. Um, And in many of those countries, it is used in only the lower house of parliament or Congress, not the upper house. So it's like roughly translates to what this topic is about uh, in the US context. So the second topic is in a democracy, voting ought to be compulsory. And this one I think is probably the most straightforward of the three. It literally just means if you live in a democratic country, you are required to vote or the government should require you to vote. This exists in a decent number of countries already, not as many as 100, but Belgium and Australia are two notable ones and a large portion of Latin America, as well as a smattering of other countries across the globe. And you can either have it enforced or unenforced. If it's enforced, it's usually via a fine. You know, if you don't uh, vote, then you have to pay some fine for not voting. Uh, Some countries, you know, technically tell you to vote and then don't particularly enforce it. That's also a thing that happens. 
And the basic idea is to increase voter turnout. You want everyone to vote so the election actually represents everyone's interests. And in a lot of countries, turnout is very low. And so the basic idea of compulsory voting is to raise turnout. And then the last detail, I guess, relevant to, to understanding compulsory voting is the name is slightly misleading because you're never truly compelled to vote, uh, given that in um, pretty much every one of these countries, voting is also a secret. So they can't know whether you actually voted or not. So compulsory voting, I think, is best thought of as like compulsory turnout. Like you're required to show up to your election booth and uh, engage in the electoral process. You could just like spoil your ballot or not cast one, and they, they couldn't know about that. But it's really easy to show up. And so it gets rid of that problem of people who are like too apathetic to sign up or too apathetic to show up in the first place. And if you're there, you might as well vote. But it doesn't get rid of your ability to like cast a non-vote and be like, I refuse to vote. That would still be an option, even in a compulsory voting system. You're just compelled to show up and do something, even if that is you know, mm-hmm. you know, rendered in- ineligible ballot. All right, finally, we have the social media topic. So I'll, I guess I'll give the background primarily in the context of the American legal system, since that's probably what the topic was trying to get us to get at. Um, so in American law, there are broadly three distinctions in communication systems. There are publishers like newspapers, magazines, et cetera, uh, distributors like newsstands, libraries, um, and platforms like telephone companies and whatnot. The basic idea is that social media companies are platforms, which means that they don't produce or curate any material, any published material that is, all that comes in from their users. And as a result in current American law, especially under section 230 of the Decency Communications Act, the platform isn't liable for things that their users post. So for example, like Yelp is immune from like mean reviews that users post to its website and Google is like generally immune from liability in its search engine results. And so the topic is asking us like, should we, you know, make that different? Like should social media companies, instead of being legally immune for the content posted by their users, should they be legally responsible? I said that I would sort of localize the discussion to the United States because that's primarily where the literature is going to be about. But it is key to notice that this topic is not US specific. And so that sort of platform publisher distinction is not universal, um, but it is the sort of general idea that the topic is trying to get behind. So I think it's probably good if we now just go through and give our thoughts about each individual topic, like what's good about it, what's not good, and sort of give our reasons behind it and whether or not you should vote for this topic or vote for something else. Um, Maybe we should start with the proportional representation topic. Chris, you explained it. You got any thoughts about it? Yeah, I think in general, I quite like the topic. I think it's really straightforward. It's very clear. I think what's happening in the topic, I think there's some ambiguities in the other two uh, in the way that they're worded. Uh, And it's pretty relevant. Um, It has decent amount of arguments on both sides, on the AF. A lot of the arguments are focused around things like gerrymandering, Force representation system makes gerrymandering a lot more difficult, more democratic system because it better reflects the will of uh, people. Uh, introducing smaller parties or third parties into the electoral process and the effects that would have. Um, on the other side, there are good arguments that a proportional representation system, because it requires larger districts, sort of destroys the constituency function of a representative. There's not as much local um, influence over decision making. And there's some good arguments about um, the negative effects of proportional representation in a presidential system where a president isn't chosen by the representatives, by the parliament, chosen independently, that a fractured parliament or Congress uh, in this case can be sort of strong-armed in a presidential system uh, where there's proportional representation. 
So what I guess when I first heard this topic, I had the reaction that I'm going to guess like 99% mm. people will have, which is like, wait, isn't like the House of Representatives already like a proportional representation system? Uh, because I made the mistake that Nails pointed out the last episode, which is I did not read about the topic before I made an assessment about it. And the more I hear about it, I think it's a very interesting topic. Fortunately, I'm not sure if it's going to get chosen for precisely mm. the reason that no one's going to look up what a proportional rep system is. Yeah, maybe let's talk about that ambiguity a little bit, because I've heard this response a few times that people are like, wait, is it the House of Representatives already proportional? Like I learned in AP US history that the House of Representatives is proportional and the Senate is you know, equal representation for states. Uh, in one sense, that's true. The amount of representatives a state has is proportional to its population, but a proportional representation voting system or election system is a very specific thing. We don't have proportional representation in, elect in our election system. States have proportional representation relative to each other in uh, the Congress. Um, so that's a, like an easy, I think, distinction to miss, but it's super important. Yeah, I would like to echo uh, something Chris said briefly a second ago, which is one thing that I think is a great virtue of this topic is that it's actually just like very well worded. It's quite clear, I think, what it means. And once you recognize that proportional representation actually is a term of art with like a pretty, pretty clearly defined meaning, the, t the topic, I think, doesn't have a whole lot of ambiguity, uh, not a whole lot of room for you know, vagueness or misunderstandings or just like pointless definition debates. I wouldn't expect too many topicality concerns to come up for the most part, just because it just seems real straightforward. I think that's a, a good virtue of a, well, of a topic that has to be well-worded. That said, there, I think there are maybe a few ambiguities in sort of implementation of this topic, how it happens, for example, is potentially controversial, and also what the implementation looks like in the context of um, representation being apportioned by states. So uh, proportional representation in elections requires multi-member districts. So what do we do with a state like uh, Wyoming that has one representative? Is it just like we ignore those cases, like they just get one rep and everyone else is proportional? Um, do we make uh, districts that don't respect state lines? How is that constitutional? There are some sort of implementation issues that are a little thorny. Uh, but I think the meaning of what the end result looks like is relatively clear. Yeah. So I guess maybe one concern that people might have upon realizing what this topic means is like, wait, this seems just like very obviously superior to like first past the fence voting. So like, what is the negative ground that really bounces out the topic? I mean, so maybe one thing is like the, is it like Condorcet voting, the like head to head matchup voting counter plan is like, I mean, what else is there for the negative here? I think, yeah, there are a lot of counter plans. There's, like you said, uh, I guess, Condorcet voting. There's instant runoff voting. There's, you know, election by lottery. There's lots of negative counter plans, but there's also a pretty straightforward and deep body of literature about what types of voting systems are appropriate to uh, particular types of political systems. And we already have a very particular political system, a separation of powers that's set up in a very particular way. And there are good arguments in the political science literature about why our particular form of government requires plurality voting, why a two-party system is better uh, given our separation of powers, for example. I already briefly touched on sort of the presidential strong-arming argument that's in the literature, that countries that have presidential systems as opposed to parliamentary systems, where the prime minister is the you know, head of government chosen by the parliament um, instead of a president elected directly by the people in a presidential system, uh, proportional representation may give more power to the executive because it creates a fractious uh, Congress that's not able to create coalitions to check presidential power uh, in situations of divided government. Um, so there, there are good arguments, I think. I guess there's um, one additional question that I've gotten from a lot of people about the topic, which is why not the Senate? It seems like very strange. This is 
limited to the House of Representatives and like doesn't that kind of uncut the topic to a certain extent? And I guess like that's in some ways a fair concern, but it also does mirror the way that this happens internationally. Uh, proportional representation tends to be a feature of lower houses of parliament when there are two houses in a system. And the upper house usually is chosen in some other more roundabout way to country to, to country, it really depends. Um, but there's really not proportional representation in senates or upper chambers internationally. And second is it's kind of impossible to actually have that topic in the United States. The distribution of senators, the number of senators each state has set in the constitution and it's actually the only clause in the constitution that contains provisions saying it cannot be changed. Oh, so that would create some, some issues as well. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a really great topic, one that probably won't get chosen because a lot of people won't look up what proportional representation means. And I'm going to guess that like a lot of people on the circuit are going to be a little bit hesitant to vote for it since like it doesn't give you your typical existential impact scenarios quite as easily. I'm not sure if any other topic on the slate is better at solving that problem, but like mm-hmm. that's going to be my guess. Uh, so I, I, I call it a problem. I don't really view it as a problem, but yeah, I, I really like the topic a lot. All right. Next topic is uh, compulsory voting. Nails, you got thoughts on this? Yeah, so this was a topic a few years back for September and October of 2014? 13. 13, 2013, you're right. Yeah, more than than a few years back. In any case, it was a topic. And I thought it went quite well. Uh, I I enjoyed researching it back then. I thought there was a nice body of literature, interesting arguments on both sides, and pretty well-rounded, you know, nice, decent statistical debates on things like effect on voter turnout and so forth. There is interesting philosophical arguments that I think are not the same that get rehashed every topic, you know, the sort of philosophy of democracy and, you know, what it means to be representative of a, of a populace, those sorts of things. I think are kind of interesting philosophical questions that this topic brings to the fore. And I don't know, it's just overall, I think pretty well-rounded. Uh, also, just kind of like an interesting uh, argument to begin with. Uh, so I'm, I'm a big fan of this one. And I think that uh, it's easy enough to understand for like local circuits, you know, it's probably the simplest of them, the least legal background necessary. It's just like voting, you have to do it. <laughs> Very clear. Uh, you know, anyone who doesn't have a background in debate can get it. Uh, but I think it's also, you know, robust enough in terms of like arguments on both sides that it could stand up to like closer scrutiny at like a, a more developed national level. Agreed. I, I debated this back in 2013. This was my senior year. And this was back when I didn't use verbatim, didn't save any of my cases or anything. Terrible thing. Please use verbatim. Please save your cases. So I had paper copies of my cases, which yesterday mm. I dug out of my closet. Mm. And uh, turns out I had a decent amount of prep on this. Unfortunately, it's not very useful because it's all on paper and I can't really translate that uh, back into my computer, but it's, it's nice. Um, yeah, the topic is, is deep. Um, there's, this new, there's this 2014 book just called Compulsory Voting, Born Against by Lisa Hill and Jason Brennan. I'm like, 30% of the way through cutting the whole book. I'm hoping to get it done before Saturday. But like, I mean, that book just is the sort of introduction to the topic. It's great if you want to learn more about it. Like that's the book you should read when you're first starting off on the topic. But even then, that only digs into like maybe 50% of the good arguments. Like there's so much good literature and so much deep literature for both sides. And I, I really enjoyed that topic when I was in high school. And I think I enjoyed a lot more around this time, given that I know a little bit more than I did in high school. I'd say my one problem with it is is like, in a democracy, voting ought to be compulsory is like not the most precise wording. Like in a democracy, usually not my favorite wording. And then it, it says voting ought to be compulsory instead of using the actual term of art compulsory voting, which is like a little bit annoying. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think, and, and so it's clearly less precise than the, than the proportional representation topic, but I still think I like it more, but we'll see. Yeah, I share your concerns about those ambiguities. Last time around, I don't think they were a huge 
deal. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think most people just knew what the topic was. We all kind of agreed and it was fine. There was um, one annoying thing, right? Because compulsory voting yeah. as a term of art clearly means yeah. compulsory turnout, right? But because it says voting ought to be compulsory, people mm. would read T blank ballots. You can't submit a blank ballot because that's not voting, which is the silliest argument of all time. Um, but it's bolstered by the fact that it doesn't use the term of art. And that's probably the most annoying thing to me. Yeah, I, I, I echo that. And maybe this time around, some of those other ambiguities will become more salient. I can see that happening as well. I guess one other uh, virtue of the topic, I think, um, given it's September, October, is I think it's very friendly for novices and recruitment, more so than the other topics, probably. Uh, I think it's really clear what the stakes are, and it feels more personal than something like proportional representation because it implicates like whether you should be you should be forced to do something as a citizen as opposed to a more I think distant and abstract question of like the structure of of voting and democracy so I could see that being another virtue as well it'd be good for novices and recruitment maybe one virtue for circuit debaters is like this gives us a little bit more latitude in terms of specifying like which voting ought to be compulsory, how it's enforced, enforcement mechanisms, et cetera. And so if you want to get more into the details, I think this gives you a little bit more leeway than the other topics. Um, if you find plans to just be intrinsically valuable to run in debate. Yeah, I would think it would be perfectly theoretically legitimate to clarify like by what means compulsory voting happens, e.g. the difference between enforced and unenforced or how it's enforced could affect things. Like any, any variation that still falls under the mm -hmm. heading of compulsory voting would be affirming, even as long as, even if you're clarifying implementation. Uh, I, I imagine some people will like specify a democracy or something, and that seems uh, obviously a misreading of the topic, um, but one that nonetheless will certainly occur. Uh, I think probably my favorite topic, I, I'm probably just biased because I mentioned that this was one of my favorite topics in the last episode and I've already debated it before. I think I like it just because of its pure simplicity minus the sort of ambiguities. I think overall pretty solid. I think actually your last point, Lawrence, might be my biggest problem with it. We've already debated it. And when we've already debated a topic, I tend to want like a compelling reason to do it again. Like what's changed? Has there been like a significant shift in the law or the public debate or something that makes this newly relevant. And I'm not sure there has been. I will say there is a lot of new literature since 2013. Mm. Like 2013 was already a pretty deep lit base, but there has just been so many new articles since then. Like you could definitely do this topic on post-2013 cards alone. And, and a lot of the articles are specifically written about like, could this serve as a bulwark against the rise of like certain authoritarian leaders globally and like what role does democracy have in sort of checking back against its own uh demise stuff like that well that's something we didn't talk about either the fact that this topic would be during an election season ah, um, yes and how much would the debate become about that like would there be a lot of positions that are like compulsory voting means trump wins or loses that kind of stuff my guess is honestly kind of more than it ought to be because mm -hmm. I remember that being a bit of an issue even in September, October of 2013, which wasn't particularly like a big election season. Right? 2012 elections had already just happened. Um, people running midterms, though, stuff like that. And it, it seems to me that most of those arguments should just be like transparently bad. Like if you think about what counts as a good argument for adopting one voting system or another, I think what perhaps one of the worst arguments one could give is just like, we should explicitly institute this voting system to rig the election in favor of my party for the immediately preceding election uh, so Definitely. that, you know, one side wins to the other. And that just like this sort of, just saying it out loud, just be like, oh, duh, it's a reductio ad absurdum against this argument. Uh, but I, I do remember a decently large number of arguments being resolved on like, 
will this cause one party or other to win a particular election in the most recent election? I think realistically, the topic should not be getting at that. It should be getting at like what's the the best sort of structural way to institute a democracy, and that's what it, I think that's what it's trying to be, and what debate is opportunity does. But I I don't uh, I'm I'm very much disillusioned with the idea that debaters will actually do that exclusively, and many will, I'm sure will instead try to focus on like how this affects various races that are coming up soon. Yeah, I, I, two two more thoughts here. Uh, first on this, uh, how it impacts the current election type argument. I think a better version of that, which you can find in the literature, is that when there's compulsory voting, uh, maybe certain types of outcomes are more likely, like maybe progressive policies in general tend to be adopted in countries that have compulsory voting. That seems like a pretty reasonable uh, tack to take. The other would be, um, that compulsory voting solves things like voter suppression. Um, that is a problem in the status quo. That might be a way of getting at you know, some of the same issues. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a much more core argument. The, the second point I'm going to make is um, it's happening in election season. It's also happening in the middle of a pandemic. What does compulsory voting look like in a country where in half the states, it's pretty hard, if not impossible, to vote by mail or vote absentee? And uh, compulsory voting would mean everyone has to go to the polls and risk their lives to vote. Does that, does that have an impact on the balance of the topic? I do think actually, there. I recall this the last time this came up, one of the decent app arguments was that in countries with compulsory voting, where it's you know, enshrined in law that you have to vote, there's actually a, a sort of stronger direct and indirect incentive to make voting accessible. A, because you have to pay large amounts of money to go enforce it if people don't vote, and so the, the government's like losing money. And then B, like legally there's precedent when you say people have to be able to vote because they, ha they have to vote then you have sort of naturally, you know, like constitutional um, reasoning for like overturning like prohibitively difficult voting laws and stuff like that. And so I imagine problems like, for example, the accessibility of mail-in ballots could be a negative argument, right? Like, oh, people will be forced to show up during a pandemic, but it could be app arguments just as well. that maybe compulsory voting makes those sorts of things uh, easier to come about because it provides a stronger legal footing for that sort of uh, reform. All right, final topic. Um, I'll give it away, my least favorite one. So I'll preface this by saying that if this were US specific, I think I would be fine with this topic. Like a topic about the Decency Communications Act is itself like a very deep legal topic. The amount of law articles, law journals you're gonna find about it are you know immense. You're gonna find lots of common debate about it because of the sort of recent uh, you know, presidential rants against social media companies. And, and you're gonna find a lot about it because of antitrust actions against it as well. And there's like a lot of questions about, well, if platforms are in fact regulating or fact checking or doing other things like to modify or otherwise change the content that's on their platform, like does that cost them their platform status? And like, what are the legal ramifications of doing so? Like how does this affect First Amendment free speech laws? Like all that debate is great, but this topic is not US specific. And it is, it just seems like it would be awful to try to debate about this in the context of differing legal systems globally particularly since there is a huge distinction between the ways that like the European Union deals with like social media companies as opposed to like the United States. Um, and so that's like my sort of short version for I, I don't think I like this. Yeah, it's, it's trying to get at this publisher platform distinction, Lawrence. I think that's definitely the case. I'm not sure it even effectively does that in a case where this was US specific. For something to be, for you to be legally responsible for something, what exactly does that mean? Does it mean that you can be sued for um, you know, defamation or libel, just like the poster of the information? Does it mean that if it's a death threat, like you are legally compelled to take it down by the law? Like what does legally responsible mean? You have to do something in relation to it. You can be punished for not doing something. 
it's, I think it's pretty unclear exactly what types of obligations that would create. Um, and depending on where on the spectrum it falls, the balance of the topic could be really off. Right. Like if it's a particularly strict, I, I, strict liability is a term of art. If it's like, it's a, if, if the punishment is like quite large, like it's just going to be the case that a lot of smaller sites that just don't have the legal resources to deal with stuff are just going to close their comment sections down. Um, mm -hmm. And then only the big platforms can survive because they have the legal teams to weather the hit. But like if it's like, but if the sort of legal responsibility entails almost no penalty whatsoever, then what does this do? Um, but also like what you're responsible for. It, yeah. Right. right? So I think the, the platform versus publisher distinction gets that like, essentially you are the, if you are a publisher, you are like co-responsible, maybe even solely responsible for the words that are out in your newspaper, right? Not the individual columnist. That's one like very maximal version. Any tweet that goes out on Twitter, Twitter is responsible for in a legal sense, they can be sued, um, uh, right? All those things. But like in a very minimal sense, this could just mean like there's a law that says, um, you can't incite violence. So Twitter has, you know, a legal responsibility to delete tweets that call for violence. That would be legally responsible for content posted on the platform, but it's not at all what the publisher uh, platform distinction is really getting at. Yeah. I share the concerns. I don't think that, I think this one's a distant third in terms of topic quality. I think that this is a definitely a topic that's trying to get at, you know, particular, at particular legal, principles and uh, distinctions that then doesn't give enough context to know what those are, which countries it applies in and so forth. I'm not one to say that you know, every topic is better when it's more specific. Compulsory voting, for example, is a topic that I think would probably not be better if you specified a country because I think it's trying to get at broader democratic principles. This topic, though, strikes me as one that really needs to be clearly laid out because it's getting at some specific legal accountability mechanism but in a way that's too vague and ineffective to actually really make it clear exactly what the affirmative is defending, what ground the negative has, and mm -hmm. so forth. One other thing that's sort of strange about this is, like, it, the way that the current debate is shaping out, like, the way that it's trying to tackle the Section 230 controversy is, like, it, I think the general argument has been made that if platforms start regulating um, or shaping the content that's posted, then they ought not get that immunity. But if they just choose to be a free platform and they do not censor whatsoever, then they then they do get the immunity, right? And so, but this topic seems to be broadly just being like, doesn't matter what you do, you get you're, you're liable anyways. And I don't think anyone in the literature advocates for that sweeping of a view. Um, and so, like, I I just think if this topic were picked, like the neg would just win almost every round. Like how like it just the topic just doesn't make very much sense. Um, and then and then returning back to the like international legal problem, which is like, so in China, like we're doing a topic about EU antitrust and like just researching that topic for a few hours and you become very much aware of the very differing legal standards that like European courts apply to American tech giants and social media companies and like what they're willing to do. Like, and like substantively, this is an argument, right? You could argue like there's a splinter net that's going to occur because all of these sort of wildly different legal, legal standards that just break the internet into like sort of lonely islands of their of differing legal rules, but also just like, not substantively, just like as a topic, what does it mean for them to be legally responsible for content posted by users given like these wide ranging differing international legal norms? Like I just do not know what this topic could possibly entail. And I tried to be you know, charitable and like actually research this topic for a little bit to figure out what it could mean. And, and we even had a discussion a few weeks ago about this topic where we argued for like 50 minutes before we all came to the conclusion that yeah, this topic is awful. So 
yeah, I, I just don't like this topic. I please, please stop it for it. And then one last concern I think that's also relevant to me at least is and it just kind of feels like a, a PF topic in nature. Like it seems like most of the, the arguments are just sort of like random, you know, like, oh, it might not be very effective. You, you know, small companies can't do this or that or the other. I think both of the other two topics get better at something that both has those uh, aspects, right? Like effectiveness of increasing turnout, but also, um, gets at like a deep, deeper values conflict on one way or another, right? Like what it means to be democracy, what it means to be uh, re representing citizens, the difference between like your civic duty to contribute to a democracy versus your autonomy and the compulsory voting case. And so I think those are like a more effective mix of broader ethical discussions and then political ramifications. And this topic just feels like legal minutia and in a way that, I don't know, it could be like fine for like a month in PF, but uh, it doesn't strike me as like ideal as an LD topic. All right, so those are our thoughts on the topic. We want to go through and just sort of like say our favorites and, and mm -hmm. although it should be kind of obvious, and then maybe give some predictions for what you think will win out. So uh, Chris, you want to start us off? I think my favorite very narrowly is the proportional representation topic. Uh, I think it's really clear. I think it's interesting. I think the literature is deep. I think it's sort of a novel um, issue we haven't really debated before. Then compulsory voting, also a very solid topic. We'd be totally happy if it was picked. And a distant third, social media. Um, which I think would be a very, very bad topic. Um, in terms of predictions, I think the most likely topic here is compulsory voting. I think the least likely topic is probably proportional representation for the reasons we discussed. I think maybe some people um, won't quite get what it's getting at. And I think the additional concern here is I can see a scenario where the two sort of democracy elections topics split some of the vote and social media kind of slips through. So I think that's that's my prediction, is compulsory voting most likely, um, then social media in a situation where maybe those the other two split the vote. Hear, hearing that uh, prediction made me sad. And, you know, that's, that scenario is a good argument for um, instant runoff voting. You know, this topic yeah. choice is plurality. That might be a problem. The, the college topic process actually already, and for a while now, has used instant runoff voting for choosing topic wordings and whatnot. And I think it's uh, clearly a better system as far as voting goes. You know, it's it's on the table for the future that will eliminate the third and then redistribute the votes, but not this yeah, year. 100% agree with that. As far as my predictions go, uh, first, which ones I want, uh, I would switch the first two of Chris's, but otherwise largely agree. I think uh, by a narrow margin, I think my favorite is compulsory voting. I think it's a great topic. It's already kind of tried and true. It's been tested already. And uh, the proportional representation, I think, is also a solid second. I mean, again, um, interesting conflict, good literature and whatnot. Distant third, uh, likewise, is the social media topic. Prediction-wise, I have a hard time assigning really much probability to what people are going to vote for, because I've just noticed over the course of always trying to predict topics that it's very difficult to figure out what random people out and who knows where to vote for. And so I have, I have very little idea, um, but Chris's ranking seems plausible to me that it might go compulsory voting, social media, proportional representation in terms of topic likelihood. I echo the predictions because again, like last year when the standardized testing topic won, I was just like, oh, I'm so glad I'm not having to judge any of these rounds. You know, it's a reminder that the, the topic voting system is very different. Instead of yeah. you know, 10 and we rank them and like through some process yes. that not many people understood, they got assigned to different slots. We have three choices. We know what they are. We know where they're going to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy on the whole about the, the new uh, topic voting system. I think it's definitely an improvement over the, the previous one. 
I'd say proportional rep probably has the sort of more narrow but deeper literature base, but compulsory voting is going to be a lot more broadly debatable and accessible to the average person. So for that reason, I think I'll pick it as my number one, but proportional rep clearly number two because social media is so far down the well that if we debated it, I might just take a two-month hiatus from debate. Um, I feel like it might be worse than the standardized testing topic. I don't know. Like, I, I mean, we'll have to see how the rounds actually play out, but it is. I would not be happy if it was picked. Uh, I think it would be the worst topic in quite a long time. Yeah, no, they, no, no, no. That not, would be plausible if not for November, December two years ago. The the presidential privacy one. Oh, oh. Yeah. That one just had no literature. I no forgot that even existed. Incredibly vague. I, I would understand if you blocked out of your memory. That I think has been the worst topic in at least the past eight years. And I don't think there's me to be worse than that, but it, it might be vying for second with a few other ones. All right. Um, I guess it doesn't really matter if you agree with our rankings or not. Like maybe you strongly disagree and you really like the social media company topic. I don't know why, but maybe you do. I think as long as you are sort of thinking through your votes and as long as you are being very deliberate for picking a topic because you think it will make for better debates. And and most importantly, as long as you're voting, then I think we've kind of done our job. I want to reemphasize that you should vote. I think if you don't vote here, you lose all right to complain about the topic when it comes out. And uh, you only have a week to vote. I think it starts the first, ends the seventh, topic comes out on the eighth. So you should do it like as soon as you, you hear this. If you don't know how to vote, ask your coach. It's, a, it's really interesting to look at who votes and who doesn't and then look at all of the complaints. People from the circuit tend not to vote nearly at all if you look at the numbers. I think last time I checked two years ago, 40% of all votes were cast in only two states, Kansas and Missouri. <laughs> Maybe, maybe voting should be compulsory for NSDA topics. A prerequisite to debating should be that you have to vote. <laughs> Otherwise, how can you meaningfully consent to debate the topic? Uh, good, uh, good AF. You should have proportional representations across rounds. So like if compulsory voting gets 60% of the vote, then 60% of your prelims, you debate compulsory voting. Oh. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. So let's take a short break and then we'll come back and do our outro. All right, that's our episode. Hope you found it informative, interesting, and hopefully it motivates you to go out and vote. Um, we're excited to see what this podcast can do over this next year. Um, and we're looking forward to hearing from you, the listeners. Uh, and so one thing we're gonna do in future episodes is have mailbag segments, uh, especially as the season kicks into gear where we answer questions from you. We've already had a few submissions and we've got a few episodes planned out, um, but we'd like more. And so please submit them at the form linked in the description. Um, finally, thanks again to Victory Breeze for sponsoring this episode. I guess for the last bit here, let's discuss media recommendations. Now, I think Nails has been obsessed with this YouTube channel, and I think it's really hard for people to understand just how nerdy this is. So I'm just going to let Nails kind of explain what it is, and maybe you'll respect Nails more or hate him. Who knows? Yeah, my favorite YouTube channel of the last few months that I would strongly recommend is Cracking the Cryptic, which is a Sudoku-focused uh, YouTube channel. As these two Sudoku experts from the United Kingdom who just every day they solve a really difficult Sudoku and they work through it. And I used to think Sudoku is just like the worst. I'd usually skip over it if I was working you know, the puzzles in like the, the newspaper. I'd always just do the crossword. Uh, but I think this channel actually successfully makes it really interesting. Like even if you didn't think you liked Sudoku like I didn't, uh, it's actually quite entertaining. Uh, I mean, you probably have to be a little bit of a nerd at the very least to enjoy some, watching someone else solve a Sudoku. But they've got a lot, a lot of nice variants and stuff, you know, different takes on Sudoku you, you didn't think were possible, uh, real clever looking puzzles. 
And they always have like a little link where you can try to solve it yourself. And I would actually recommend doing that because it really makes it easier to appreciate how difficult they are. Like you watch it and it kind of looks easy. But if you, if you try to solve it first and then you watch it, you're like, holy, holy crap, this is impossible. How, how the heck are they doing any of this? Uh, and then you watch them and they solve it in like 10 minutes and you're like, okay, I'm just dumb. Uh, but it really, it really um, gives you a, a newfound appreciation for uh, the video. So that, that's my um, YouTube recommendation uh, as of late. Since quarantine started, I've been watching a lot of Cracking the Cryptic uh, Sudoku solves. All righty. That's our episode for this week. Go vote for your favorite topic. And hopefully your favorite topic is not the social media topic.